The Unbiased Podcast is recorded live at the Ministry of Sound and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is the Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head on now and try them out. Welcome to Your Money, Your Future. I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk. And today I'm really pleased to be joined by Director of Savings and Investments at Barclays, Claire Francis. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Claire, there's so much I want to chat with you about today, but there's two main areas that are close to my heart and really important to our listeners, investing and the impact of finances on your well-being. So to start with, let's get straight into investing. Your Director of Savings and Investments at Barclays, tell me a little about what your role entails. Yes, so I work within the wealth management and investments business, but Karen, we've known each other for years, haven't we, going back to um, a financial journalist. So my background is journalism, and as a result, a lot of the work that I do is looking at the, I guess, the considerations and how we can help people in particular get started because there are lots of barriers and obstacles that can put people off. And it's still only a minority of people here in the UK that do invest. But as a lot of people listening to this probably have heard about, you know, we are facing a bit a big challenge and a problem here in the, in, in the UK because we're not as individuals saving and putting enough away for our longer term futures. And it's often referred to as the savings gap or the pensions gap. And so what I try to do is really around the sort of the content and some of the conversations that we have is help people overcome some of those barriers and obstacles to get them started. Because over the longer term, if you just keep all of your money sat in cash savings, it's unlikely to grow by as much as it would if you invested some of it. So how can we get people to be putting some of that money, some of that hard-earned cash away for their longer term futures and hopefully enable them to achieve their goals and objectives and, and, and you know get a more financial security really in the future? Absolutely. And one thing we return to on this show and the thing we see again and again at Unbiased is how women can be a bit reticent about investing. So why do you think that is and what's holding them back? Because as you've just said, they can be missing out on gains that would be given to them via investing when they're keeping their their savings as cash savings. Yeah, it's a really interesting topic and we've done quite a lot of this and and actually we did an event back in autumn last year on it and there's lots of factors at play here and there's no sort of one size fits all. But I think if you go back decades now, often within a household, maybe the role of if you're in a couple, you know, often the man, the husband would go out to work and the woman would be responsible for running the household and, and women were brilliant at it. But as a result, when it comes to finances, often even now, when perhaps more women are working or earning on a par with men, still there's that sort of fewer women do seem to invest. And why is that the case? So 
some of it can still be a traditional, you know, the way families run their finances and, and, and how they divvy out the responsibility in terms of who does what. But also I think that culturally and, and in society, investing is often commonly associated with men and, and often with sort of rich men. So if you think about some of the imagery, some of the films, some of, you know, often, it, you know, you, you do sort of see a lot of it. it's very male dominated and working in the finance industry as you and I do as women, we're not on our own. Absolutely. We're not on our own, which is great, but there are still probably more men in the industry than women. So it's, again, it's breaking those barriers down, helping give women the confidence. And also one of the things that comes up for, and it's, it's a barrier for, for men and for women, yeah. I think is language and how we talk about investing. Because when you look at a lot of the language, a lot of the terminology, it can put people off. There's lots of jargon, complex terms, acronyms. So if you don't necessarily understand it and aren't feeling that confident, just the language alone can put people off and make them feel a bit scary. Then add to that the fact that there is risk involved with investing because obviously stock markets can fall as well as rise. And perhaps you can understand why some of those barriers do exist and, and why people are nervous and reluctant to give it a little bit of a go. And I think women in particular perhaps are, are more risk averse than many men. And as a result, that sort of that caution can put them off. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I've seen a lot that women are very good at money management. It's just they feel a little bit to actually go into investing and worry about the risk. They want to keep what they've got. Rightly so, than we have worked hard for. And also, I think potentially that women, you know, it's not something we want to do. And if someone comes along and says, I'll take care of this life admin for you, you're like, oh, great, excellent. But actually, what that does is gives you less control. And actually being engaged in your finances, knowing and being part of the decisions that are being made really does empower you and give you control over your life. It's not just your financial lives, but over your life, because that's where you're going to be putting your, your money and, you know, the things you spend your money in. You want to be part of that conversation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's that sort of, you hear stories and I was talking to a colleague just recently who's, she's a wealth manager actually, and, and one of her clients in her early sixties and her husband had died and, and he'd taken care of all the money and all the finances and, yeah. and he was starting from scratch and she was very nervous about it. And it's that sort of, if we can, as you say, get more involved and get that sort of empowerment because actually it isn't that complicated. And yes, there's loads of things going on in life and loads of juggling to be done day in, day out. Um, and it's easy to see why, you know, it's, as you said, if somebody else is going to do it for you, brilliant. Or often it's something that people know they could and should be doing more about, but it's like, we'll do that another day because they don't really want to tackle it now. And they yeah. think time on their sides and then they never get round to it. And it's, so it's one of these that actually, if you can, the earlier you can get started, then again, it sort of quite uplifting in, in some ways because you yeah. do realize that actually this isn't as hard as perhaps the first thought. And also the sooner you start, the longer you've got to be doing it and to be putting money away, which then means you've got time on your side. So it, you're not having to invest as much potentially. You can afford to ride out any downturns in the markets and just see that money grow and also understand like, the difference between having money in savings, which is also very important, and then having money to invest for the longer term, because it is, you know, it's an important point to make that when we talk about investing, it doesn't replace or negate the need to have some money put aside for in cash savings, because you need that in case of expenses or things that you're going to need in the short term, whether that's for holidays, hopefully now we can travel again, you know, say, you know, if you're getting married, wanting to buy a new house, that sort of stuff, those short term things are where your cash is important. But as we're hearing at the moment, day in, day out, within 
inflation on the up and prices going up and interest rates still low, your cash savings aren't going to keep pace with that, which is why over the longer term, although people think investing is risky and cash is the safe option, there is risk involved with cash because whilst you won't lose money, the value of that money lessens and reduces over time because obviously the, the, the purchasing power, the goods that you're wanting to buy with it go up in price. So having a balance and having a mix of some money invested and some in cash is ideally what a lot of people should be aiming for. That's a really good point and really, really good timing on that because the cost of living and energy prices, et cetera, is really going up. And you mentioned teaching people in education earlier. It's your, your experience. I know there's lots of different tools and articles on Barclays. And I know you've done videos before explaining jargon, et cetera, to people. In your experience, what really can people go and find to help their knowledge around their financial situation? Are there any particular tools or sites that you can recommend they go to? I know there's a lot of Barclays and I know on unbiased.co.uk there's, there's information as well, but what really gets people to engage with making decisions? A lot of people think they need to spend so much time getting to know it all and understanding it all before they get started that again that can cause a bit of sort of decision paralysis in a way because it's like oh I don't really know enough yet to do it whereas actually I think nowadays it's not just the information the content that's there that can help you but also the products are there to help so you don't have to know everything before you start you know if if I sort of just a couple of different types of products that, that we've got available and not only at Barclays you can get these from other providers as well but we call them ready-made investments so these are are sort of they're a fund and the way a fund works is that rather than you buying shares in, in a single company yourself, you invest your money in a fund and it's pooled with all of that of other investors. And then the fund manager decides where to put it. And so you're getting diversification, it's spread, which helps reduce the, the risk because a single fund can hold sort of 50 to 100 companies. But the way a ready-made investment works is you're getting exposure, not just to say, UK market, which would get you'd get if you bought a UK fund, for example, but you're getting exposure across the world. So different markets, different types of companies, different sectors, different industries, a mixture of shares and bonds. So it's almost that, as the name suggests, that ready-made, it's a, it's a good, it can be a good place to start because you don't have to worry about what to pick for your sort of investment portfolio. It's almost done for you. Another good place to start is the sort of robo-advice services that are available. We've got a service, it's, it's slightly different, but it, it works in a similar way. It's called, called Plan and Invest. And um, the way that that works is that you complete a, a questionnaire so it almost takes ready-made investments one step further because with the ready-made option, you've got five ready-made funds to choose from based on how much risk you're comfortable in taking. With Plan and Invest and robo-services, the way they work is you, you do a questionnaire, an online questionnaire to understand, help us understand what it is you're trying to achieve, how comfortable you feel about risk. And then based on that, the way our service works is we will create an investment plan for you. So you then open the account, put the money in, and it's all done for you and managed behind the scenes. So again, it removes that need to actually make the decision yourself if you're not that comfortable about doing so. But if you are, then as you mentioned, we have a lot of content on our site. There's podcasts, even on yeah. social media channels. There's loads of great people that you can follow on social media. They're doing all sorts of good sort of different types of content to engage with. So really, it almost depends on you as an individual, what works for you in in terms of do you like listening to or do you prefer to read something? Do you like watching a video? Do you like interactive tools? Have a look around, see what's out there and see what works well for you. The beauty of this day and age and the internet is there's so much available. At your fingertips, it's only a search away. Yes. I love that. That's really sound advice. So it's all about educating yourself and taking the level of risk that you're comfortable with and, and starting there. 
Now, I wanted to rewind to your earlier career and you starting in journalism, just because it's interesting to hear women in finance, you know, how their career evolved. Can they tell me what inspired you to take that route and how your career has evolved over time? I, I didn't actually choose to, uh, much as I love my career, I didn't choose to go into finance. I'd always... Everyone says that, don't they? <laughs> it found me and I'm still here 20 odd years later. I always wanted to be a journalist and I did international studies and politics as my first degree and then I did a master's degree in war studies and the Middle East was my sort of specialist area and I, I wanted to be a sort of war correspondent or diplomatic yeah. or something like that and wrote off to various places for work experiences and one of the places that I got offered work experiences was on the money section at the Times and I, I was at King's College in London and I'd been to a careers day there and, and yeah. the, the editor of the money section again is somebody you and I both know well Karen Anne Ashworth at the time he was came and did a talk so I'd written off he on the, inspired you well I, I wrote off and just said I'd been to this talk and heard her speak and could I have some work experience please and I got some and um and it was on the money desk not the foreign desk that's how I was got into it and I was just really lucky because my work experience was as I was coming to the end of my master's degree dissertation and and so I had time I had no job mm -hmm. and Anash asked me if I wanted to stay on and help out with some money guides that they were doing as a sort of editorial assistant and it was the height of the dot-com boom sort of back end of 99 and lots of websites were setting up and there was openings for journalists to move online out of traditional print media so as a result there was quite a lot of movement and I managed to get a job as a sort of personal finance reporter on the independent on Sunday I was just so lucky because then I basically I, I sort of learned on the job really learned about money on the job which going back to starting about investing exact that's exactly what individuals can do as well yeah. you can learn as you go and that's how I got in and almost the rest is history I stayed at the independent on Sunday until 2003 then I moved to the Sunday Times where I was on the money desk money section there until 2008 and then I left London and moved back to the northwest which is where I'd grown up and um became the editor-in-chief at moneysupermarket.com, the comparison site. And again, this was the beginning of brands really ramping up their content that they were producing on websites and online. So I worked there very much focused on consumer bills, managing money, helping people sort of save money and make more of their money. And, and then got approached for the job at Barclays back in 2015 and I moved over to work for a bank, which is something I never thought I'd do. But it's amazing how your sort of career path takes you. And, you know, it's brilliant. I love it. I don't regret it um, for one moment. It is mad how, how your career path. And I think a thing we have in that's similar is riding that sort of tech boom. The world has changed massively in the last couple of decades. And I think it's all about how you get in front of a consumer and engage them. And I think finance is actually really suddenly learning how to do that in a way that makes it bespoken about the person that is interacting with. So it's really exciting. I think also our passionate advice is educating people about money and how to control their spending. You mentioned that just now. How do you think people build financial confidence? What have you seen throughout your career is the way that people go about building that confidence so they feel happy and that they're in control of their financial selves? Well, I think I think generally we've, I suppose if, if you think back over the, the decades and almost what the digital era has enabled is we've seen product evolution in a way perhaps that hasn't been seen if you go back to our parents' generations and stuff. So there's much more choice available. So actually, and it's easier to find and access information. So I think people are becoming more 
proactive in all walks of life when it comes to sort of money management and the sort of tools and, and things that they they use. And if you just think about you know, all sorts of, you know, the number of credit cards that are available and you can have a different credit card depending on how you want to use it. It's not just one credit card or savings accounts and all sorts of financial products. It's just evolved. And then in the day-to-day sort of built world of household bills, it's not just the number of providers has increased too. So this sort of getting into the habit of looking around and and not just going with the first thing you find and getting used to moving fairly regularly and chopping and changing a bit is I think just behaviorally that's changed and it's encouraged people to be a little bit more proactive. And I think another interesting time, if we think back, is back to the financial crisis in sort of 2008. And I remember that vividly, that the sort of the run on Northern Rock, I was at the Sunday Times and suddenly that, that sort of people's sort of thinking about is my money safe? And how can I keep my money safe? And what can I be doing? And all of these things, I think, have sort of contributed to us being more aware. That said, if we go back to what we were talking about right at the beginning, when it comes to that sort of saving and investing for the longer term and for the longer term future, we've still got more to do in terms of helping people, I think, um, recognize the importance and the value of taking action themselves and helping them understand what's available. Because otherwise, I think, you know, we're heading for a time where you can't necessarily rely on the sort of the state provision. And even with auto enrollment and, and pension contributions, if you only do that, you'll probably find you haven't got that sort of retirement pot at the end that you perhaps were envisaging. So it does really pay to take an interest, the earlier the better, to try and help yourself in the future, really. I think you're right about the number of products, et cetera, being available and how quickly those new products are coming onto the market. And actually, we've seen a level of consumer demand rise for advice just because they, they're struggling to curate what's on the market and see what fits for them. So actually, people do want to come to advisors and, and say, just tell me what I should do. You know, what, what should I what choices should I make and when? Because there's so much information, conversely. Yeah, and, and that's the other side of the coin, really, isn't it? That it's great on the one hand to have all this choice, but actually choice can be another barrier in itself because people are worried. They don't know which <laughs> what to go for. What's the best option for them? What's the right option? And the risk is that it can put them off from doing anything. It's understandable why people are coming you know, to you looking for, for more advice and for help, because I think a lot of people yeah. do, they need that helping hand. And when you're thinking about something like in investments, which perhaps they don't feel that confident about, and you've got the knowledge that I could lose money here if I'm not careful. It's people definitely, I think, do want support and help and guidance in terms of feeling that they're making the right decision. And I think it doesn't have to necessarily, well, you never know what the best decision is because it's only with hindsight that you know, but it's, you know, it's knowing that you're not making a stupid decision and not going to be stupid with your money that I think one of the key things. So that leads me perfectly into the thing I wanted to talk about next, which is you mentioned the big squeeze, you know, interest rates and energy bills and with world events, people are getting a bit more worried about their financial situation. Now, I know that financial well-being and mental health, et cetera, are really closely linked for people, especially now. And you're a trustee of money and mental health. Tell us more about your role and what you're seeing there. Yeah, so uh, the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute is um, a charity that was set up by Martin Lewis uh, from Money Saving Expert. And the reason he set that up is because of this sort of inextricable link, really, uh, which is something we're trying to break between mental health problems and financial difficulty. And they are so interlinked that 
either can cause the other, if you know what I mean. If you're struggling financially, it can lead to mental health problems because of the stress and anxiety and it can, uh, that it can cause. But equally, if you are struggling with mental health problems and maybe unable to work or Mm -hmm. not functioning normally, then it can cause financial problems. So that's where this sort of link between the two exists. And it's how can we help support people? So how can we help people so that they don't get into sort of financial difficulty, but equally, how can we help on the flip side, what can be done to support people's mental well-being to try and stop this deterioration there? And that sounds very simplistic and obviously it's much more complex than that. But ultimately what, what the charity tries to do is sort of policy and strategy and also okay. that companies give to customers um, who are encountering difficulties and how it can influence that sort of stuff. So that's the work I do there. As you mentioned, I'm a trustee in, on the board, so I'm not involved in the sort of the fantastic stuff that they do day to day and the work they're doing there. But we, as a trustee, we're involved in the strategic vision, the longer term strategy and direction of the charity and um, the reason for my sort of involvement in mental well-being mental health my husband took his own life 11 years ago and he suffered with depression and anxiety and interestingly he we didn't have financial difficulties but again it shows how mental health has such impact and influence on all sorts of things because for Mark although we didn't he didn't need to worry he did worry and he was very worried about his finance he had financial anxiety was one of his sort of big main anxieties and it was all what if he lost his job what if he couldn't get another one what if you know so for for him it was all very focused on saving a lot I used to call him the squirrel because you know I'd check the account and more money had moved into to our sort of current account because we had an offset mortgage at the time and he was always how much money do we owe on the mortgage Claire the aim was to pay the mortgage down and you know it was there front of mind for him day in day out so I think that sort of recognizing how stressful money can be for people is really important and it's one of these things that it's really based on it for an individual, you know, and there are points in life that are very stressful. So moving house, for example, is highly stressful for a lot of people. They can really struggle at the time and, and it'd be quite overwhelming. But once it's completed or whatever, they're through it. But for some others, it, it almost becomes totally all consuming and overwhelming or even just simple. Well, I won't call it simple, but even budgeting, you know, that some people might find simple and easy to do to work out, well, how much we've got coming in each month, how much is going out. If some people that just comes naturally and they don't have a problem with it. For others, that can be massively stressful just in itself. So really being able to sort of help and um, support people and also just recognize um, and empathize that we are all different. What one person might not have a problem with, somebody else could find very difficult, I I think is quite important. And then it's understanding what can we do to help people feel more secure and more confident about their monetary, you know, their finances to hopefully help go some way to supporting their mental well-being as well. Well, that's a really personal and powerful story. I know some of our listeners, that will resonate with them. And it's just really brought home how, you know, focusing on and don't let the financial get to you without asking for help, the support out there. And it's a fantastic charity that you're part of. So thank you for telling us about it. We'll link to it. What's the URL of the website? It's money and mental health. And I'll send you the link, Karen. And the other thing to say there is it's very much focusing on, as I say, on sort of policy and supporting. So it it doesn't have a a help line. But I think 
places to go for if you need to speak to somebody. Charities like Mind, Citizens Advice, the Samaritans, they they can all help. They've all got consumer helplines. And also, you know, if, if it's linked to your money um, and your bills and or your bills, yeah. speak providers, speak to your bank speak to your energy provider, speak to whoever it is. They, they've got teams that are specially yeah. trained to help sort of vulnerable customers and customers who are struggling. So it's easier to say than do. I know yeah. it can be very difficult to make that first call, but by not doing it, it isn't going to help the situation. So the sooner you can talk to somebody, begin to get help, there's always help out there. It yeah. doesn't matter yeah. how sort of far down the road that, that you feel that you've got, there's help available. So p- please do seek it out. That's fantastic information, Claire. Thank you very much. So concluding, every week I love to give our listeners three key things that they can do right now, this minute, to start taking control of their money. Claire, what would your three key things be? So firstly, I think start with your the household, the money coming in and out of your Day to day. Yeah. Day to day, are you in control? Have you got, do you need to have a formal budget plan in place to help with that? But but just be aware of it and, and do that. And if you haven't got a budget plan, you need one. There's tools available to do that. Secondly, I think is get your savings, start saving, even if it's just a small amount. And if you haven't got your cash savings in place, start with your cash savings, build up that so that if something unexpected happens, you've got a bit of a cushion to fall back on. And then don't put off the thinking about the future because you just... It could be here before you know it. And the sooner you start thinking and planning, the easier it will be to get that life in the future that you you hope and that you'll have worked hard for. So just almost those three steps is get day-to-day sorted, begin to put money away if you're not already doing it. And once you've got your cash in place, start thinking longer term. I love it. That's really simple. And our, our listeners can go and action that right now. And I know we have a budget tool on Unbiased. So um, if you can't find one elsewhere on the web, Claire, I could talk to you for ages, but we're nearly out of time. It's been fascinating and inspiring to hear about the work you're doing, both on the charity side and Barclays. So thank you for sharing with us today. For our listeners, you'll find links to the tools and support services we've mentioned today um, underneath the podcast. And thank you so much to Claire Francis for being my guest this week and to you for listening to the Unbiased podcast. There's lots to take away from today's show and I hope you can just do one thing to start taking control of your money and your future. Please subscribe to our show, give us a five-star review and tell the people you care about to have a listen. Making a high-quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copus, K-O-P-U-S dot com and let's talk.